time. Well, I'd like to welcome you into White Oak this morning. And uh, as I always like to do before I begin the sermon and, and preach to you, I, I always want you guys to know um, how much I love you guys and uh, how is your pastor. I, I want nothing but, but good for you, that you would learn about God and have all the enjoyment that comes with living in the kingdom of God and being able to daily say, your kingdom come, your will be done, and to experience the fullness of the life that Christ offers. Um, I want to encourage you this morning. Uh, we've, we've got a really, really great text that we're in that I'm excited to preach from. And I want to encourage you to open your heart this morning. Uh, what I'm going to talk about at first, it, it may not seem like it's going to relate much to your life, but I believe at the end of this, um, I think it's going to mean very much for you. And I hope that if you've entered here with any feelings of being unlovable, or not loved, or not significant in your life, um, this morning is going to blow your mind. God is going to do a work in your life, and you will leave here with the motivation to serve God all the days of your life because you realize that you are not insignificant, but that you are extremely valuable in God's eyes. And so I'm excited to be on this journey with you together. Now, the title of the sermon this morning is Divinely Selected. Divinely Selected. And... You know, all of us at different points in our lives, we have moments of like massive revelation where you receive some kind of news or you have some kind of an experience and it's so life-changing that um, everything in your world changes the moment that that thing hits you. Uh, The Bible often refers to this as revelation or an encounter or, or even just good news and the way a certain piece of information when it enters your mind changes your outlook. I've shared with a few of you the story, but um, eight or nine months ago was the, uh, was the best day of, of my life. Um, I got home from work one day. It was a normal Monday, and I got home from work doing what I always do. Got home, sat on the couch, started checking through Facebook, you know. That's what you do nowadays. It's the millennial life, you know. It's how you unwind nowadays. And uh, so I'm on Facebook and, you know, checking all my stuff and commenting on stuff and liking things that I like, you know. That's what you do on Facebook, you know, sharing stuff that you think is important. Um, and I'm in there, and I can tell Halsey, it's, it's unique, because usually when I walk in, she, like, embraces me and says hi. And, you know, they have one of those moments of, like, oh, I haven't seen you in, like, a million years, you know, even though it's been, like, nine hours, you know. Um, but I got home, and, and she was, like, not there to greet me, you know. And she's, like, in the back room. And, and for those of you who are new, Halsey is, is my wife, right? Um, not my dog, it's my wife, so. Um, <laughs> My dog, re- my dog did greet me that day when I came in. Um, his name is Bo. But, um, so I walked in, and, and she was like in the back of the house doing something. And I could tell something was different, but, you know, I was on Facebook, and so I wasn't paying much mind to it, you know. And uh, Facebook just sucks your, like, attention, you know. Um, and so she was back there doing something, and she was back there for, for about 5 or 10, 15 minutes. And so I kind of figured something's going on. She's getting something ready, right, but I don't know what it is. And she emerges out of the back of the room with this, this mug— And on this mug, it says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. And she hands it to me, and I have a lot of mugs. And so I'm like, oh, another mug, you know. And uh, so she she gives me this mug. And yet this was a special mug because in the mug was a pregnancy test that she revealed to me that she was pregnant with our first child. 
And I cannot explain to you the joy that like leaped in my soul when she told me that information. You know, I know many people, they struggle to have kids sometimes. And so when finally that moment arrives for you and God blesses you with that, it's just one of the most happy feelings. I remember jumping up and hugging her and, um, you know, we were so excited. It was like the greatest day of our lives. And and yet after that, we were going to go out to eat to celebrate. So she went back to get ready. And I'm sitting in the living room by myself after hearing this news And I sat down on the couch in the quiet of my living room. And, you know, I was happy before, but when I sat down and had some time to think by myself, like everything began to sink in. And I had this moment where it felt like my whole reality had shifted. You know, I'd lived the whole prior part of my life just as a a, a guy with, with, with no kids, right? And then all of a sudden, I've got a kid on the way. And so, like, the way that I view everything in life has changed. You know, like, like the way I view my health, I've got to take better care of myself because I have to raise this child. And, you know, how sin I, we have to be really strong in our marriage because we have to raise this child. And, you know, how's that going to play when the child? Like, like literally my whole reality was, was shifted because of this revelation that I had, this moment that hit me and forever changed my life. And all of us have those moments. And, and unfortunately, some of those are bad moments, like that moment when you got that really bad news that maybe somebody passed away or something had happened or you lost your job or, or whatever. Sometimes they're good moments, you know. It's, a, it's one of those moments you celebrate. But we have those moments when something miraculous, something life-altering hits us. And that's what happened to this guy named Saul here in Acts chapter 9, the, the text that James just read for us. There's this moment where we see that this man who was notoriously known for persecuting the church has this encounter with God on the road to Damascus that forever changes his life. You see, in this moment, in in the book of Acts, what we see is the church is expanding. And I always point this out because it's so cool that like literally what you read about in the book of Acts, we are the product of this. Okay, that's not like an artistic exaggeration. Literally, like, like this gathering in every church in this city and every church in this world that professes the gospel literally finds its roots here in the book of Acts. You could historically trace our gathering right now all the way back to the things that we're reading about. It's like so cool. But what happens is the church is, is growing and it's expanding 2,000 years ago. They've received the power of the Spirit and they're proclaiming the gospel to all the world and it's expanding But as you can probably imagine, not everybody's excited about this. There's a lot of political and religious people that don't like the expanse of the gospel, right? Because they're saying there's a new king, and yet the empire that they're in already has a king. It's like all of a sudden, if tomorrow I'm like, there's a new president here, you know? Barack Obama probably would not like that. He's like, I'm the president, right? And so there's this upheaval, and there's this kingdom that's expanding, and there's this idea that God is doing something very different in the world, and that message is going forth, and it's changing lives, and it's changing the very landscape of the entire world. And one of the people, and this is so crazy, one of the people that was fighting against the expansion of the church is literally a guy who would go on to write half of the books in the New Testament. Okay, the biggest persecutor in the New Testament, God does a radical transformative work in his life and makes him the author of half of the New Testament. Maybe you've heard of a guy named Paul, and before he was referred to as Paul, he was referred to as Saul, right? And in the book of Acts, there's this guy named Saul, and he's going around, he's persecuting Christians. Most notably, he'll find Christians worshiping, he'll go gather up the leaders, and he'll put them in prison, 
He's going around to everybody. And Paul finds out there's this group in this place called Damascus. And so he's like, all right, here we go. I found a place and I'm going there to get him. And so he goes on this road to this place called Damascus. And yet what we see in the scripture we just read is that God literally comes to Saul and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And God takes Saul's life and transforms it and takes the greatest persecutor of the Christian movement and makes him the greatest perpetrator of the Christian movement. And what I want you to see this morning, right, is before I get to how this impacts your life, what I want you to see this morning is that Paul was divinely selected. Paul was divinely selected by God for this mission, right? Acts 9 does not say Paul thought really deep and hard about the claims of Jesus and he was wondering if this is really true or not and he was studying and seeking wise counsel. It doesn't say that. Literally, he's persecuting Christians and in a moment, God miraculously comes to him and transforms his life completely around. And I've talked to many of you and I've heard many of your stories and they're very similar. You weren't looking for God, but God found you. You see, Paul was divinely selected. And so then after Paul has this moment, God tells him to go to this place and wait. And then God goes to this other faithful follower of Christ named Ananias and says, Hey, Ananias, okay, I'm changing this guy's Paul's life. I'm doing a great work in him. You need to go to him, lay hands on him. Paul had gone blind, so he's going to regain his sight. And then he's going to go out and proclaim the gospel to the entire creation. And Ananias is kind of scared, right? Because he's like, um, so you're telling me to go to the guy that's arresting Christians, right? And to go help him because I'm afraid that if I go there, he's going to arrest me. But God's like, no, 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 you need to go. This is like if God were to call you to go, like, like the head of ISIS, you know, uh, he's been radically transformed. Go to this house where he's at, you know, as a believer in Jesus and go tell him that, that God's going to do a great work in his life, right? It's kind of unsettling. But I want to take you to the main verses, right, that really explain this this morning. So if you have your Bible, Acts 9, verses 13 through 15, this sums up everything, the entire summary of Acts 9. This is the summary and the most wondrous verses, and this is going to guide us this morning. 13 through 15, and I want you to really key in on verse 15. So Acts 9, starting in verse 13, it says, But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority of the chief priest to bind up all who call on your name so he can arrest people. But the main part is in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. That phrase, chosen instrument, can also be translated divinely selected. God says, I've chosen this man to do a work. He's doing this thing, yes, but I've decided to change things and I've decided to make this guy named Saul somebody who advances my gospel. And many of you don't know this. And many of you don't care, but there's this massive raging debate that's been going on in the church for probably the last 500 years, right? 
Um, for those of you who are real technical, which is probably not most of you, most of you don't care, but there's this debate between this thing called Calvinism and Arminianism. There's this idea, does, does God choose who is saved, right? Or do people choose whether or not they're saved? So Calvinists believe that God chooses everybody and doesn't choose other people, and, and that, um, but at the end of the day, no one's worthy, so no one deserves it anyway, right? But then Arminians believe that we get to kind of choose, right? That God's kind of laid it out for everybody, and we make our selection. There's this, like, massive debate. And this debate gets complicated because of verses like Proverbs 16.9, right? Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Like, what do you do with that? Like, you're, you're needing guidance, you know? God, I need a word for you. I need some guidance. And he directs you to Proverbs 16.9. It's like, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. That's a confusing verse for many people. We see verses like, 644 where Jesus says that no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him but then we read verses like first Timothy 2 verses 1 through 4 and this was written by Saul later in his life after he had been become a follower of Jesus he writes to a church saying first then I urge that supplications prayers intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and for all people who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life Godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so, this is a massive debate that has been raging. And you're going to go out and you can find people all across this spectrum. And it's not even just as simple as Calvinism and Arminianism. There's like spectrums in between and Reformed and three-point. I mean, there's all over the place. But what I think Scripture makes clear, right, and what I think is important for our life this morning is that God does choose people. That we don't have the ability in and of ourselves to find God because we are darkened in our sin. And yet God seeks us out. But at the same time, we also know that we do have free will. And so sometimes, I've heard most people chalk it up to, there's a, there's a glorious mystery at work here. There's a glorious mystery that God does great things, but then in the garden, we know that we have free will. We know we can choose things and not choose other things, right? But at the same time, God chooses because God is in control of everything. Here at White Oak, we have what we call a big God theology, we believe he's big, he's powerful, that he, he guides the nations, right? I would hope that we're not as much freaked out by the election as most people, right? We have our preferences, but we think ultimately God is in control. We think God can choose the president. We think God can, can change the nation. We think he can do those things. We think he can change your life. We, we have a big God theology, but you can't deny in the scriptures that Paul was divinely selected by God, and what it shows us is God's activity in this world, that we are not just aimless and God's not very active, but what we see here is God is active in this world, meaning that God is active in your life, in every single moment of your life. That for those of us who are in Christ, the Spirit dwells inside of us, and whether we're at work or with our spouse or with our children or doing a hobby or we're at church, that God dwells with us, that he is active, that he is present. God does a great work in the lives of his people. So Paul was divinely selected by God, but I think what we see here next, the second idea is that divine selection leads to complete transformation. Um, Turn me to Acts 9, uh, starting in verse 20. It says, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, this is Saul, saying that he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? 
And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. I think so many people in our world today are confused by Christianity because I think in our culture we have like this a little bit better mentality that um, most of us don't believe this next thing in our life, especially as you get older and I guess maybe you become more cynical or something, right? We don't think that one simple thing is going to radically transition our life. We think we might get a little bit better, right? I know a lot of you, I talk to you, you're on like a big like workout kick. You know, you're trying to get shredded, you know, summer's coming. And so you're, you're kind of panicking because it's already getting hot outside, you know, trying to get ready. You're, some, many of you, you're on like, you're like a healthy eating kick and you're signing up for all that online stuff or like you, you get the, the, the clean eating plan, all that kind of stuff. I know many of us, we get hobbies that help us relax so we can maybe take some of the stress of work out of our lives. We're trying to do a little bit of hobby, right? But the problem is, is when we take our Christianity and we kind of make it the same way. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tack it on to my life. I'm going to show up at church maybe twice a month. I'm going to listen to a guy preach a sermon and I'm going to sing a few songs. I'm going to take communion and my life's going to be like incrementally better right? I'm going to go home a little bit more hopeful, a little bit more happy. I'm going to change my life morally a little bit, right? I'm going to, I'm going to make progress, right? I mean, it ain't going to be massive, right? But I'm going to make a little bit of progress. And yet what we see in Paul's life is that divine selection when God chooses people like me and you to follow him in this life, what it leads to is complete transformation. It's not just a little bit better, but it's ultimately complete surrender. And yet here's the problem with that surrender, It's often painful. Isn't surrender to God's plan, like, hard? Isn't surrender to trust him with your life, like, extremely difficult to do? I've never heard anybody say, man, this Christian life is a piece of cake, right? I've never heard someone say, giving everything over to the Lord— that, that my life would be to pray that his kingdom comes in every way. That the way God does it, that's the way that I do. I want to glorify him. I see what he's doing in this world. I want to be a part of that. So all of my life, all of my money belongs to him. All of my life, all of my relationships, all of my family, everything belongs to him. We're like, no, 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 because I want to hold on to it because I have to control it because things are better when I control those things. And we enter pain in our lives in this process of surrender. I mean, look at Paul. He was blinded for three days. And what would have happened here when Paul got saved is he would have lost his entire previous life. He would have lost absolutely everything. He was a Jew among Jews. He was trained in the best places. He was trained in the the ways of the Old Testament. He was told, this is how you do everything. This is what you believe. This is how you follow. This is what you think. He would have had all of his friendships in that circle. And then he meets Jesus and Paul would have absolutely lost absolutely everything. And yet what we see in Paul is not a despair about his pain, but an awareness that what God is doing in his life is he is transforming him. Christian, in your life this morning, if you are in pain, what that means, I believe biblically speaking, is God is transforming your life. If there's an area of your life that's in pain, if you're struggling, if you are wandering, we as the church believe this radical claim that God works everything together for our good and that God takes us through these moments and through these seasons to change us. 
We believe that God works in mysterious and profound ways that we could never comprehend. We believe every circumstance is full of hope. There is never a hopeless moment in your life. There is never meaningless pain in anything that you encounter. There's never a moment where God doesn't take something hard that you went through and use it for your good. Never. There has never been a follower of Jesus who has gone through pain and God has not used that specific exact thing to do a great and blessing in their life. God works through our pain to transform us. And yet what the world tells us is that it's just pain and that it's hopeless. But God is with us. And and the reason why, and this makes sense, the reason why life is often full of so much pain is because life is full of so much transformation in Christ. Amen? Amen. There's pain a lot. Like, man, I have pain every single day. I have tough moments every single day. Yeah, because God's doing a work in your life every single day. The old self is being pierced and the new self is growing in your spirit. God does a transformative work in our lives. I did this this kind of week-long mission trip back when I was in college. Uh, It was actually one that I did here in the city. And I spent an entire week uh, downtown in the inner city working with the least of these uh, in a place called the Gano Mission Center. Raise your hand if you're familiar with the Gano Mission Center. A few of you are. Y'all, y'all help and minister. It's a great ministry, great organization. And um, I went there back when I was in college. And uh, when I showed up, there was this guy there. And he kept referring to himself in this like really weird way. And at first it kind of got on my nerves, but then he explained the story and it was like really, really cool. He kept saying, because when you introduce him, he's like, yeah, my name is Josh 2.0. That was his name, right? And he was, like, legitimate about it. So, like, if you said, hey, Josh, he, like, would not respond. Like, he just, he's like, he's like mm, no. And so you have to call him Josh 2.0, right? And so, um, so eventually, I think it was, like, the first or second night, we all gathered together after the day of helping and serving and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they let this guy named Josh share his testimony. I'm sorry, Josh 2.0. So, so Josh 2.0 gets up there, and uh, he starts sharing his story. And, and he had a really good story. He said that he grew up in like this, what he would have referred to in his own words, as kind of like a sheltered like suburb, I guess you could say. I think he lived somewhere in like, I don't know, it was like South Carolina. I don't, I don't know the city of South Carolina, but like this kind of like comfortable suburb in South Carolina. And he lived his whole life there, and every one of his friends were just like him, you know, kind of upper middle class. He would have referred to more fluent. Um, he said literally by the time he was 18, he had never known somebody in poverty. Like he, he had never had a friend that had financial issues, right? That he, he, in his words, he would have grown up in kind of like a bubble. And so what happened was every summer he'd go to this camp outside of Dallas that was kind of similar to the context that he grew up in. But one summer he signed up to go to this camp to help serve and everything. And supposedly the camp double booked. And so like a month before it was time to go to the summer camp, like half the people that signed up couldn't go, had to do other things, right? So long story short, his parents were actually leaving for the entire summer to go somewhere. So he didn't want to be by himself the entire summer. So we had to find something to do for the entire summer. And someone said, well, hey, there's this place down in Houston called the Gano Mission Center. Uh, you should go down there because they take summer interns and you can serve the entire summer there. And so he shows up at the Gano Mission Center, right? It's like the classic movie of the guy that's like not familiar with that context. And he enters into an inner city, Houston, diverse context. He said that he met more homeless people in his first day there than he had met in his entire life. And he said he was so frustrated because the first day he was there, he was trying to help a homeless guy and he like, he got taken advantage of, you know, and the guy ripped him off and they said, oh no, no, you, you gave money to 
guy, oh my gosh, like he thought he was doing this great work. And so he started getting cynical. And then like a lot of the people didn't speak the language that he spoke. And so he couldn't minister to me. Like it was so confusing. He felt like he was useless in that experience. And so he was going through this summer and he was so frustrated. And yet he said during that time, God began to do a massive work in his life. And he said what he learned that summer through that pain, through that awkward, uncomfortable experience, that frustrating experience, was that God was breaking him out of the bubble that he lived in, lived in to experience the wonder of a life with God and loving the least of these. And what we often think is pain is God breaking you out of your bubble, breaking out of your pre- preconceived notions and ideas of the ways that things are, just like Paul. Paul thought that Christians were wrong, and he thought they were, they, were, they were stupid. He thought they had a false hope. And what God does is miraculously breaks him out of his bubble and makes him a part of the advancement of the gospel. And there's even this moment in Acts chapter 13, right? Because there's this common notion in the book of Acts that God changes Saul's name to Paul. Maybe you've heard that before, right? Um, but if, if you take the Bible at face value and you read through Acts, right, it doesn't say that God changes Saul's name to Paul, right? You might have heard that Sunday school or something growing up. And, and it's a good image, right? It's not necessarily a far off thing. But all of a sudden in Acts chapter 13, the author of Acts, Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke, all of a sudden begins to refer to Saul as Paul, and for the remainder of Paul's ministry, he would go by this name, Paul, in the Bible. And so what I think is, is Acts is just kind of explaining a transitional moment in his life. But what we ultimately see is that God begins to break off the scales off of Paul's eyes. And what I think oftentimes for us, and this is when it, I think, begins to apply to your life this morning, is I guarantee you, you walked in here today to some degree with scales on your eyes. There is a part of our wonderful God that you don't know already. And I also think there's something about yourself that you don't know that I'm about to tell you that, that, that I think is going to encourage you this week. And I think it's going to change the way you see everything. I think this is going to be your moment of revelation. Because it says that when Ananias prayed for Paul, something like scales fell off his eyes and he saw the world completely different. And here's that reality, and here's the reality that I don't think we often see, that for those of us who are in Christ, who are trying to follow God in this life, you are divinely selected. You are chosen. You're a chosen instrument of God. You're not random. You're not meaningless. You're not just a guy that happened to stumble into this thing, but you're someone that God chose to be a part of his work. God chose you. And we know this because the Bible declares this about you who are in Christ. The same guy who in Acts 9, God divinely selects. That same guy, Saul, who becomes Paul. Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians to another church, right? So he's writing to another group of believers. And he says that we give thanks to God always for all of you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the main thing. He says, for we know brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. He says, you have been chosen by the living God. What chosen means, Christian, is that you are divinely selected for your life and for the mission that God himself has given you. 
The reason why we have this burning desire in our hearts that we have a destiny that we have to fulfill is because we do. It's because God has called you to something. It's because you are a part of this work called the kingdom of God coming into the world. That the brokenness and the darkness and that the evil that is in this world, the Bible says God is fixing it. In the same way that that God created Adam and Eve in the garden to partner with him in the work of kind of being a part of managing this world, that we are now invited into this work that God is doing to partake in it, to be a part of the darkness leaving and the light of Christ coming into the world. We have good news and we express it in our jobs, in our families, to our neighbors, to our coworkers. We express it in the art that we create. We, we, we express it in the moments in the morning when we're praying to God and saying, all I want to do is be with you, Lord. We, we express the kingdom of God because we have this destiny. We have this calling. In your life, you've been divinely selected to write a story in your life that proclaims the gospel to the world in every single thing that you do. Every single Christian is divinely selected. And this is not a self-esteem boost. This is what you are. But here's the problem. We often forget this and we live our lives feeling like we're just completely forgotten. That, that nobody loves us, that we're random, that we're meaningless, that we have no purpose in this life. And the Bible says a completely different narrative about your life. We believe every person is somebody who God wants to do a mighty work in. You are not forgotten. You are died for. You are not forgotten. You have been fought for. Christian, you are not forgotten. You are not meaningless. You are not unlovable. You have been chosen. You have been divinely selected for a whole new life. At the end of this gathering this morning, At the end of this, a whole new life awaits you. The work that God is anxious to do in your life that he divinely selected you for before the foundations of the world were laid is awaiting you. We often live as if we are completely rejected. We're unhappy in our life because we feel like deep down nobody loves us. We feel like deep down maybe the world is hopeless. We feel like deep down we know that we have issues. We know that we have sin. We know we have failures and shortcomings. And we feel like we will never grow out of those things. And that is the lie of the enemy because the hope of the gospel is a whole new you. Because God wants you to be that way because he's chosen you. Never forget one of the most, uh, you know, when you're growing up as a kid, you have like those moments of like utter rejection that just like almost destroy your whole like life because you're so moldable at that age. And I remember, I, I might have shared this story before, but it's, it's definitely worth repeating. I was in sixth grade and um, I had this brilliant idea to, to run for class president. And, uh, and I, I didn't understand, like, the social dynamics of voting back in that day, right? I, I wasn't aware of, like, the way the political system works, even our day and age. You think, like, if you make a really good speech and, and offer really good solutions to things, you think people will vote for you, right? But it's just a popularity contest, right? Whether you're in sixth grade running for class president or you're running for the president of the U.S. in 2016, it's all a popularity contest, right? 
And so um, I didn't realize that, like, in that class, I only had one friend. Luckily, he was my best friend, right? But I only had one friend in that class. I only knew one person's name, and there was this really popular girl, and she knew everybody. She went to elementary school with everybody. But I didn't think that mattered, right? Because I thought it was, like, the solutions that people were going to vote for. You know, that's what we're going to do in our sixth grade class, you know? And it was just our homeroom class. It wasn't like that epic, right? It wasn't like for the entire sixth grade. Um, but anyway, so I, I ran for this class election, and there was three people running, and there was about 30 people in the class that were voting. And uh, we got up there, we made our speeches, and once again, I, I didn't think it was a popularity contest. I thought, I have good ideas, you know? And uh, we exited the room. They, they had this vote, and um, of the 30 people, 29 voted for, like, the popular girl, Right? One person voted for the other girl that was running, and zero voted for me. It was the most devastating, rejecting moment of my um, lackluster middle school career. Not even my best friend voted for me. <laughs> of later, of which he confessed that he just didn't because he was jealous because he actually wanted to run for class president, but he missed the deadline, so he made a statement. But I've always said I, I really respect that one girl that voted for her friend, right? The one, like the, the one out of the 30 that voted for somebody else. I respect that. She probably went on to do great things, but we lost contacts. So I don't know if that's really true or not. And, man, you have those moments in your life where you, you face this rejection and, and, and you feel like you're not lovable. And then all of a sudden you meet Jesus Christ who says that he came for you to be your way, your truth, and your life and to lead you into a life where you are loved and cherished and valued, and that you can begin writing a story within the kingdom of God that changes the world forever. And I think uh, in closing, I think what this really means, and I think what this really offers us, is something that I refer to as unshakable confidence in this life. You see, as Christians, we have been called by God And the wonder of being called or elected by God is because if it was God's work in our heart that brought us to him, that also means that we can't screw it up. Isn't that a comforting thought? As we close this morning, I want you to turn with me in your Bible one place. We're going to close with this. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. We're going to read this together. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. And, uh, you know, as we read these verses, I just want you to be prepared because I think this is maybe eight of the absolute best verses in the entire Bible. I was reading these verses this week, and um, I, I was just reading this, and I was like, man, if, if we really believe this, this would change absolutely everything in our life. So it's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through, through 10. I want to read these over you this morning, and I want you to begin to see yourself as a divinely selected person that you are for the life that you're living. That just like Paul, who's going one direction, and God said, no, 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 I've got something completely different for you. This is each and every one of us in Christ. And what we're going to read right here was literally written by the guy who had this transformative experience on the road to Damascus. The guy who God divinely selected for a great work writes this to another church later in his life. And he's writing this from prison, okay? And he's writing this with this joy and this hope in prison. And Paul is a guy who would never go on to see life as a free man ever again. Yet listen to the way that he writes to a church. Ephesians 1, 
And make this God's word to your heart this morning. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know it's going to be good when it starts off like that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And here's just where it goes off the rails. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, even as he chose us in him before the, found, before the, the world was created, you, you were chosen that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. If you believe the gospel this morning, if you are doing your best in this life to follow after Jesus, you were chosen by God before the oceans existed. You were not meaningless and you were not insignificant. We can wade out into the depths of this life. We can wade out in confidence because if we fall, we know that he will catch us. Because what we're doing is not a surprise to God. What you're doing this week, what you're going through is not a surprise to God. He knew and he chose you before the foundation of the world. You see, in Christ, you are not an accident. You were not unplanned. You were not a surprise to God. In Christ, you were not meaningless. In Christ, you were not aimless. You were not wandering. In Christ, you are not insignificant. In Christ, you are not hated. In Christ, you are not condemned. In Christ, you are not broken. In Christ, you are not ugly. In Christ, you are not rejected. In Christ, you are not forgotten. In Christ, you are not not valuable. In Christ, you are no longer sin-ridden because he has died for you. You are no longer a lust addict. You are no longer an alcohol or drug addict. You are no longer an anxiety addict because he chose you before the foundation of the world to make you not bound to those things. Church, walk in that victory this week. You're chosen. You're, You're supposed to be here. You're supposed to be happy. You're supposed to live your life walking with God and not in sin or darkness. You were chosen, divinely selected before the mountains were formed. Before you made that mistake, you were chosen. And I'll close by just simply saying that you have always been divinely selected. Don't let your mind limit God's love for you. 
Because of this, we give him our life. We give him everything. Because just like Paul, we were chosen to be a part of his wonderful kingdom. He loved us before the world existed. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would break down the the narratives, Lord, that, that we believe oftentimes, the lies that seek to tell us that there is no hope. God, where did we get that from? God, who told us that we weren't valuable? Who, who told us that we were not valuable, that, that led us to live a life of sin because we thought it didn't matter anyway? God, help everyone here to see, God, that you have a plan for them if they will walk with you, if they will trust you, if they will lay it down to you. God, help us to see life for what it really is in your son. God, we thank you that we've been selected. We thank you that there's hope and there's nothing anyone could ever do to us that would change that. We are safe, we are secure, we will be eternally with you not because of our works, but God, because after we were broken, you sent Christ to be perfect for us and all we have to do is trust you. Thank you for having always loved us. Help us this week to live that way. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.